Hey, thanks for listening to the Harvest Christian Fellowship Emerald Campus Podcast. This week, Pastor Curtis House asked us a question, how is it with your soul? For more information, please visit harvestchristianfellowship.org. Thanks, and have a great day. And so next week, youth, young adults, if you want to go as sponsors, we're going to need some sponsors, always good to have sponsors. If you're old, we need you. If you can get on a boat or a ski or a tube, you can climb on a tube with a life jacket. I was proof. I've been proof of that. Okay. So uh, we're going to go on a, on a ski trip or, or not ski trip, but a lake trip next week, play in the water. As Matt said a while ago, this is, uh, you know, the camp was wonderful, but we want to continue that momentum. So youth get out there and invite College students, get out there and invite and say, hey, come be a part of this. It's a great way to develop relationships that will manifest into a spiritual time for each and every one of us as we grow together in discipleship of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus didn't say to go get them all saved. He said to go make disciples. And in order to be a disciple, you must be in relationship. You must be. You don't disciple yourself and get very far. I'll just tell you that. And so as we, as a matter of fact, the scripture said, we went over this the last few weeks, right? That it's not good for man to be alone. And some of you men know that. So he made a helper suitable for him. And as we continue to grow up in the word of God here at Harvest Christian Fellowship, just stay with me because today I'm going to progress on some of the things that we've covered over the last few weeks. Now we've been in a sermon series called The Endangered Species. And I hope you enjoyed it. We ended it last week with a women. That you are endangered to some degree if you're following cultural norms. The scripture calls us to be gender defenders. Meaning he made them both male and female in the image of God. And so today as as we continue on, let's talk about ourselves a little bit as individuals. If I were to ask you this question this morning, how is it with your soul? I wonder how you would respond to me. If I sat down and just said, how is it with your soul? You know, John Wesley was kind of the originator of that question. John Wesley, a huge evangelist, of course, and, and came, through, came to the Americas a couple of times, but, but was somewhat a, a failure. But he, he created a spark, a catalytic event, if you will, even through his failures, he sent over a couple of men, Thomas Koch and Francis Asbury, to carry on a tradition and, and to inspire people. But he did it with this question, how is it with your soul? When he would meet you, or oftentimes when, when Asbury or, or Koch would meet you, basically what they might ask you instead of saying, how are you? They would say, how is it with your soul? There's a difference. I mean, who wants to admit that we're not well? Who wants to admit I overreacted to a situation and now I've made it worse? I let my pride get the best of me. I was stubborn and unyielding to prove a point I wanted to make. I blamed someone else for my own problem. I spread a rumor about someone this week. I lied in order to make myself look better. I mean, think about this. How would you answer that question? I got angry and I blew up. I judged someone I didn't even know. I was, I was envious of someone who had more of me. I feel ashamed of what I've done. It's not good with my soul. Not many of us really want to go that far, do we? I mean, you ask that question and sometimes you get more than you want. 
Here's why, because we don't have time for that thing called relationships. And so we, we oftentimes just say, it's good. And I hope they say the same thing back. You know, we say, how are you? Uh, it's good. Good. I'm off the hook. You know, I can get on. I needed to get to Walmart and get my toothpaste bought. So, so some of us, you know, we're, we're glad to hear that. But if we take a little bit deeper, we really need to ask the question one with another, how is it with your soul? Lucy Gordon, Kurt Cobain, Marilyn Monroe, Robin Williams. Do you know what they all have in common? That's right. That's right. They ended their lives way too early. They took their own lives. It wasn't good with their soul. We need to ask the question, how is it with your soul? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said this. He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and of course, with all your strength. But the first, and the, that's the first and the greatest commandment. But the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's hard to ask your neighbor how it is with your soul if we ourselves are not good with who God created us to be. See, any journey with God begins with me accepting myself. And that means I'm going to accept my gender. It means I'm going to accept my purpose for what I was called for and what I am called to. Here's the truth. We really don't have the ability to define our own self-worth. Let's just be honest, because we're emotional beings. You don't have the ability to define you. Boy, that sounds odd, doesn't it? That just almost makes us all want to get twisted up. This is why God has called us into a relationship to love the Lord God, our creator, so that we know his voice, so that we recognize his voice. We know who he is when he's speaking to us. And here's the other thing, to be in relationship one with another that helps us define who we are. How many of you like to be told the gaps in your life? Yeah, there's no hands going up right now, right? But we like to hear the good things about us. I mean, we do. We like to, to hear what sometimes the spouse says, man, you're looking good today. I don't know what you've been doing, but you just got this glow about you. I do. I like to hear it. Right? We like to hear those types of things, but sometimes there are gaps that we don't want to hear about. But the truth is, they help us define who we are in order to be discipled. But if you simply define you based upon your emotional status for the season that you're in or the moment you're in, it becomes very dangerous. Because a lot of us find ourselves alone. A lot of us find ourselves in our pain. A lot of us find ourselves in our hurt. And at that moment... We say things about ourselves that God never intended. So this is what I love about God's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, is that what God says of us is true. Even though while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that proved his love for us, that put a value on us that oftentimes we don't put on ourselves because we don't have the ability. God created every soul. He created every human being because he loved us and he wanted relationship with us. An eternal relationship. See, a healthy heart, a healthy soul or self comes from a strong connection and receptivity to God. I'll say it again. A healthy heart or soul and soul, if you will, the deepest part of you 
comes from a strong connection and receptivity to God. Now, in saying that, it's, it's interesting that sometimes we try to define ourselves. We put our strength in our own strength, in our own self, in our own self-worth. We build ourselves up only to watch ourselves get torn down, and then we don't know how to handle it because we are emotional beings. This is why we have to center our souls on who God says we are. This is going to be very important in a few weeks. I'm writing a message series that's coming up. It's called The Anchor Holds, and it's on the Word of God, focusing on what God says about us as His creations, His created beings. See, here's, here's the problem. Many of us have an intellect, and this intellect continues to increase, which is good. We study, but sometimes we study the wrong things. But in this intellect, have you ever thought that when you die, your mind quits? It stops. So something else has to keep speaking. What is that? It's your soul. It's what's in here. Right? Look, if you could answer these questions, what, I'm just going to throw some things out there to get you thinking. What would loving yourself most look like? Think of that for a moment. The more diamonds and pearls... You know, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before the swine. Is it loving yourself by purchasing more and more, by, by building your own castle and forgetting about the kingdom? What about not loving yourself? What would that look like? If you didn't love yourself, what would that look like? Self-criticism, a place that takes you to, to a, a, a hopeless world, a hopeless place, a hopeless closet, a place that's defined by yourself. I remember years ago, years ago, I don't hear this said anymore, but as I was growing up, there was a little thing out there that we used to throw out at, once, at one another when we get in a little argument or a little fight, a little scuffle. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Remember that? Yeah, well, words do hurt. Sometimes I'd rather get sticked and stoned, right, than the words that are said out there. But God's word is word that feeds our soul to build us up. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes we forget the self. Sometimes we just love our neighbor or attempt to love our neighbor through the hurt and pain that we're in. But God wants us to be whole and he wants us to be healthy. It shouldn't be a forgotten commandment to love yourself. But love yourself in a healthy way. Feed yourself the word of God. Feed yourself the things of God. See verse 15 goes on to say, But if instead of showing love among yourselves, you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. See, your new life in the Holy Spirit is so important. Years ago, a song came out by Wade Hayes, and at this time, I was still kind of living my life this way. He talked about getting sideways. Well, I get a little sideways on a honky-tonk tear. You know, <laughs> neon lights draw me like a moth to a flame. 
Remember that? I can't sing. I mean, wait, I'm sorry. But here's the thing, you know, getting sideways. Here's the thing. We oftentimes find ourselves getting sideways when we stay inside of ourselves instead of listening to the Word of God. In other words, be careful because if you are not okay with you, you will not be okay with others. Hurt people hurt people. If our souls are disturbed, we are not only in danger of not loving ourselves, but we are in danger of destroying one another. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You will get so sideways that you will think, by cutting them down, I'm leveling. said this many times, but if I compare myself with you, I always win because I compare my strengths with your weaknesses. And we devour one another. See, hurt people hurt people. Are you hurting today? So John Wesley comes around. He would ask his pastors, how is it with your soul? Because souls are the deepest, most embedded part of you. The soul is eternal. How is it in there with you? Mindy Caliguire wrote a book that I read years ago. It's called Soul Neglect. And she said, soul neglect basically looks like this. Self-absorption. Shame, apathy, anger, cynicism. See, our souls are the CPUs of life. They are where we do life from. It is imperative we take time and we care for our souls. You know how many unhealthy pastors I know out there? It, it's amazing. I had a, a pastor that, that showed up in my office here a while back and, and uh, we were visiting here for a while and he said, Curtis, who do you like to hang out with? I said, anyone but pastors. That's what I told him. I said, because when I get around other pastors, here's what I, I just hear either it's one of two things. Oh, how many did you have there last week? Well, I had 2,000. Y'all got a little old church down there on South Bottom. What are you about? I don't know. We may have had 100. We usually do a little better than that, right? Four or five times better, but. But here's the thing, that's, that's what we either build ourselves up to make ourselves look better in one another's eyes, or it's this, man, I don't know if I can do this another week. I didn't know it was coming at me like this. I mean, if you look at the attrition rate of pastors, it's, it's usually, uh, it, it's right there around 87% within the first three to five years quit. Why? Because they don't have healthy souls. We pour, we pour, we pour, you give, you give and give. When do you go to the mountain? When you get restored, when do you get refreshed? Jesus often withdrew himself to do what? To pray. He's trying to show us how to take care of our souls. What does it take? It takes a life. Otherwise, it takes a lot. Otherwise, we become self-absorbed. It's all about me, myself, and all. You know, that's the second trinity. Everyone knows the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then there's this trinity that's at battle with that known as me, myself, and I. Self-absorption, shame, apathy, anger, cynicism. I'm gonna, I, I was listening to a preacher. I, this isn't in my notes. It's just, I'm just going to pull this out of my pocket and give it to you. It's, not, it's free of charge. Just go with this. Because he said something really, really good the other day. He said, I don't even remember what, which pastor, but it, it logged itself or lodged itself in my mind because I thought this is such a good way to look at this. He said, your soul is so deeply embedded in you that as you do life from your soul when it's healthy it brings life 
to the kingdom. But when you don't do life from your soul and you do it through your mind, your mind is temporary at best. Kind of like what I was saying a while ago. The soul is eternal. The mind will die with you. And he says, so learn how to become healthy, healthy in your soul. Because when we are healthy in our souls, and this is where I want you to hear, when we're healthy in our souls, we're healthy for his kingdom. And we're healthy one for another. And this is where the body of Christ builds one another up. See, Ask yourself some difficult questions. What are our belief systems about ourselves? Do we value ourselves in a healthy way? What about you? Have you ever come down the road a little ways and said, you know what, this is, is, I can't believe I'm here right now. I've done this many times. I said, geez, I've started over so many times in my life. Lord Jesus, (laughs) Is, is there a day or a night that I won't wake up? And not think about someone or, or not worry about where I am in life or what's happened or where did I steer wrong. Or I thought by this time, you know, there would be this many and we'd have a church that's, that's is distributing people all throughout I-27 and around the world. And I had so many dreams that I thought we would have already accomplished today. I don't know if you've ever done that. I do it. And sometimes even this morning when I woke up, I was having a dream and I wanted to write this dream down. But I was in a Methodist church. Now, don't hiss or anything, okay? You Baptist or whatever you grew up in. But I was in a Methodist church, and the interesting thing is, is that I, uh, I, was, I was looking for my sermon. Somebody was going to play a trick on me. And it was a huge church and a giant choir, and they were all singing and everything. And, and uh, the pastor said, okay, we're ready uh, for Pastor Curtis to come up. He's going to deliver the message. I'm like, I can't find the message. And my heart was racing, and I was like, who did this to me? And then the Lord reminded me, you got your Bible? You've preached for 25 years. You ought to be able, somewhere in all this. And I woke up, but my heart was still beating fast, right? Look, do you value, value yourself in a healthy way? You know, where does God have you today? How, what, how could you make your life look better tomorrow? Look. It's direction, not intention, that will define your destination. It's direction, not intention, that will define your destination. Belief systems are made up this way. And I don't know what your foundation is, but you have some type of belief system in here this morning. It's made up of information plus emotion and sometimes repetition. Information plus emotion and sometimes repetition, if you just keep doing it time and time and time again, eventually you form a belief system. Now, here's the problem with our culture and our society today. They allow their information, one, to be skewed, and they enjoy it. Come on, all you got to do is just watch the news. It doesn't matter which one. They're all trying to skew your information and hopefully tie emotion to it Because if we can watch politicians, because if they can get you fired up about something, whatever it is, and tie some emotion and repetition, just keep stirring it up, then what happens? It forms a belief system, whether true or false. This is why we have to be anchored in the Word of God. 
This is why you've got to watch what's going on in culture and see how culture is paralleling or, or actually, thank you, <laughs> intersecting, right? You've got to pay attention to these things. Belief systems are made up from information and emotion and sometimes repetition. If you continue to sit by yourself and tell yourself negative things about you, guess what? Once you wrap some emotion in that, you've got a belief system. And it's not true. God made us in His image. Here's why. Because God loves Himself. And He tells us to do the same. To do the same. So you've got to look at your paradigm, your lens, your view, your belief. I, there's a movie years ago I watched it. It was called, uh, and I don't know, you know, maybe I wasn't walking with the Lord at this time when I watched it. But uh, it had Clint Eastwood in it. It had Gene Hackman in it. It's called Unforgiven. And some of you, don't go agreeing with me now, right? You just admitted you need to be up here repenting just like me at the end of the service. But there's a scene in there where Clint Eastwood steps in the bar and he asks, he said, who owns this bar? And nobody speaks up. And here in a minute, a guy speaks up. And he says, I did. I bought it from so-and-so and da-da-da-da-da-da. Clint Eastwood listens to him a minute, and then he just goes, boom, and he just shoots the guy. So Gene Hackman's in there, and he said, you coward. You just shot an innocent man, or an unarmed man is what he said. You just shot an unarmed man. And you know what Clint Eastwood said? He should have armed himself. <laughs> Some of us just get shot. That's what happens because we don't arm ourselves with the truth of God and what he tells us. See, souls are living. They are eternal. They're like the heart that beats inside of you all the time, forevermore. And we've got to feed it with the right information. It's so important. And tie it to the right emotion and repeat and repeat and repeat. And as we do that, we ourselves become become healthy, and we become whole, and we have the ability and the opportunity to go out and impact the world for Jesus Christ. You see, misery loves company, and this is how the world tells you to do it. Find your misery and then go find company that believes in your misery with you. That's what you see. I mean, the now and all that stuff, nonsense going on. Go get in your pain cycle and then go find somebody else that's in their pain cycle and then tie some emotion to it and let's carry some signs around with some inappropriate things on them. It's not healthy. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, 24. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now, you may have heard this scripture before. It's also in Matthew 16. But here's the thing. If you'll look at this scripture and see what Jesus is saying, he's saying, take up your cross. It sounds bad, but he's saying, take up your testimony. Take up your soul, how your soul is being made whole. Deny yourself. Take up your testimony. Testimonies are a, a good thing. I remember years ago, I was on walk number 87, Golden Spread Emmaus. Years ago, guys, there are a lot of things I remember about that walk. My father-in-law was on that walk, and he wasn't my father-in-law yet. Isn't that interesting? My wife sponsored me, and we weren't even dating yet. And at the end of the deal, I called her muffin. I don't even know why. <laughs> Just came out. 
walk to Emmaus. But one thing I remember about that walk to Emmaus is there was a rancher on that walk that he was given his testimony. He was bearing his cross before other men. And one of the things he said, he said, men, one day I drove to the gate and when I was at that gate, I saw this hawk and this hawk was lying next to the gate. It was breathing, but it had a huge bull snake wrapped all around it and the bull snake was squeezing the air out of that hawk. And he said, he's just squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And I, I ran over there with a hoe and I started trying to pull the snake off of the hawk. And he said, it took a while, but eventually I got him unwrapped and the hawk was set free and it took him a while to catch his bearings. In a minute, he flew again. And he said, that's where I was so many years ago in an affair. He said, I realized what had happened is the hawk came down to take on the snake because it was a meal. It looked good. It was a serpent. And the hawk came down and grabbed a hold of the serpent thinking he was going to take control. Instead, the serpent wrapped him up and took the breath out of him. I've never forgot that man's cross and how he explained that to all of us other men. See, when the serpent entered into the garden, he was enticing. He was full of food. Hey, take and eat this. In doing so, you'll know both good and evil. It will break your soul. He didn't tell them that. See, the cross is good news. It's not bad. We read the text and don't realize the cross we bear is our testimony. It is always for someone's good, even ourselves. But it is not good, good news to gain the world and forfeit our souls because Jesus gives a warning about that. You can gain all the world, but yet forfeit your soul. And then you're walking once again in danger. You're walking in brokenness. It will lead you to a place of death. What's your soul worth this morning, church? What would you give in exchange for your soul? A moment of pleasure? A lifestyle in opposition to God's created order and His created purpose for you? See, we have a tendency to treat the symptoms instead of the cause. Look, if you struggle with anger, with shame, cynicism, or any of, of these other things, you may be seek, seeking to simply cover it up and forget to deal with the cause. It could be time to deal with that cause. It's amazing to me that people get upset when I talk about homosexuality, that this was not God's intention for your life. Or, or transgenderism, that this was not God's intention. I love you, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. I'm not throwing rocks at you. Come to church, get the word of God, anchor your soul into more truth than what culture and everything else has poured into you. I love you and you are a valuable person, but I'm not going to tell a cutter to keep cutting until they bleed out. I want them to find health and wholeness in who they are, and I've seen many delivered. If you have lung cancer and you keep smoking, you can get an inhaler with albuterol to help you breathe, but notice something, you're just covering up the symptom. Eventually, it's going to create problems. And we need to get to the root of that problem. We need to be healthy at our deepest level, at this level known as the soul. Our souls are the very foundation of who we are. When we speak of the soul, we are speaking of the deepest level of life. Dallas Willard puts it this way. He says, fundamental aspects of life such as art, sleep, sex, ritual, family parenting, community, health, and meaningful work are all in the fact 
the soul functions. And they fail and fall apart to the degree that the soul diminishes. Dallas Willard, if you know anything about him, he is a deep, deep theologian. See, here's the thing. The truth is not my anger. The truth is I'm hurting. This is your deal. This could be what is coming out sideways in you. And it's hard to influence in a positive way. It's hard to go and make disciples when we ourselves can no longer be discipled. Confession is the key to healing, scripturally. Look, I'm not going to preach truth and not give you some type of application. So in my application of the message this morning, confession. James 5.16, this, this is what the Word says. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confess your sins to each other. But Curtis, that means someone else will know. Now here's the key to this. Notice how he says to confess. I like this because you can also read about confession in 1 John, right? And how we walk in the light as he is in the light. When we confess our sins to one another, he is faithful and just to forgive us of sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can, you can read that too, but I wanted to use the James passage because here's what he says. He doesn't say just confess to anyone. He says confess to a righteous. You know what a righteous person is? It's a person who knows who they are. I love this because righteousness as defined in the Old Testament, you had, you had men before the law. Noah, prior to any law, keeping any law, he was seen as righteous in the eyes of God. Here's why. Because he knew who he was and he knew who God was and he knew who he was created to be. He was seen as righteous prior to the law. Abraham. It's, it's interesting to me how, how, how you can read or, uh, 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 and see that these men are considered righteous. Job was righteous in the sight of God. How? They knew who he was. They knew who they were in him. So you don't just confess to anyone. Here, here's where our problem's been. We just go up to Sally Sue. Um, you know what? I'm struggling with da-da-da. And Sally Sue says, I am too. Oh, my gosh. You got the same. And we feel a connection. Because we're, we're sharing. Misery loves company. You're not going to get healed by confessing to someone at the same degree or same level. A, a righteous person is someone who is whole and at least knows who they are and know who God is in their life. So when he says the prayer of a righteous man and when he says to confess your sins so that you may be healed, the prayer of the righteous man is going to turn and begin to pray over that weakness in you to see you delivered see when we confess a couple of things happen a person of confession is a person of humility too many of us walk around with so much stuff and we don't want to impart we don't want to share that with someone else here's why because we're too prideful they'll think less of us God opposes the proud he gives grace to the humble that's how God works I mean you 
you put on the fragrance of humility, you'll attract God. That's, that's, that's who God is. But when we do church the way we're supposed to do church, it should be a place where healing happens. You begin to take responsibility because you're aware, I, I, I need God's help. I can't do this by myself. And God gave us an opportunity to be set free. Just like that rancher showed up and he took the serpent off of the, the hawk. And the hawk had the opportunity to catch its breath, to set for a little bit. And then once again, it was turned loose and was flying. See, when we confess, you invite God by inviting others. Not just anyone, a righteous person. Philippians 1.6, being confident in this, that he who did a good work in you will bring it to completion. He has given us a way to bring a good work to completion. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean go confess to, to the pastor. That's how a lot of times we interpret a righteous person. A pastor should be righteous, but there's still unrighteousness. There's still flesh, right? In, in areas of, of pastoring, we, we know that. I'm, I'm trying to rid myself of own kingdom and what does God's kingdom look like and that type of thing. But what it means is find that person, that accountability partner that you can walk with and say, hey, I'm struggling with this and I don't want this in my life. It's what God wants for us. So loving yourself most looks like what? It looks like restoration. It looks like redemption. It refreshes. It renews. It's not related to external circumstances. See, it's not run by emotion. You lost your car keys this morning. That's just it. You lost your car keys. Big deal. But sometimes we get so tied up into emotion, we're cursing God over it. God, I was going to go to church, but it's your fault. I can't find my keys. Right? We just get silly in our thoughts and how we process the soul is healthy to the extent we have a strong connection and receptivity to God, His will, and His ways for our lives. Living from a healthy soul means you remain alive to God, alive to yourself, and alive to others, smack in the middle of the ups and downs of life. This is where we're going to be for today. Some of you are older today, and you feel like life has, has gone by, and you have some regrets, and and you feel like there's still possibly some unforgiveness and some other things, be careful what your mind is unpacking in your life because you don't need those seeds to grow. God wants you to be a place of health, of humility. And the way that happens is for us to confess to one another. You know, there, uh, years ago, a couple of years ago, I walked by Wade's bedroom and I stopped and I backed up and I looked in there and I said, Lord, I never got to say goodbye. There's a young man laying in that bed today. Where's the boy? Life goes like that. It just goes like that. Your soul's got to remain healthy. And this is what I've learned. That's my mind playing tricks on me. Because what God is saying is you're still here. He's still here. Your family's here live smack dab in the middle of it to the very end if you're afraid of death this morning i want you to hear something you'll be afraid of death as long as you don't live life you got to get in the middle of life wherever you are say this is where god put me i was in north africa a few years ago and while i was there i mean they were telling us all the bad things that were possibly going to happen to us forewarned and all these things and this is how the, the the story ended i finally went in there and said lord i brought this team over here and now now we're 
this isn't looking good for us. And I took my Bible and I just don't do this, okay? John Wesley used to do this, but I was just experimenting. But I just flipped it open to see where it landed. It landed on Psalm 91. You can go home and read it. So Psalm 91 told me that though 10,000 may fall, a thousand may fall on your left, but 10,000 on your right. That arrow that flies by night will not hit you. And I said, I'm living right in the smack dab middle of life. This is where I'm supposed to be. The Apostle Paul said it this way, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Take me, because my soul is healthy. Church, how is it with your soul today? And if you need prayer this morning, you need prayer for anything this morning just know that we're here for you if you don't need prayer this morning listen to me yes you do (laughs) sometimes you don't want to listen to this you got to listen to this it's good to receive prayer because it helps our souls become healthy you know sometimes prayer is just a seed that's sown and is watered over a time and that greatness of that seed grows And produces fruit 30, 60, 100 fold from your life. And builds his kingdom. Builds his kingdom. We're here for you. Jesus, take this day and make it yours. We confess with our mouths that you are Lord first and foremost. And believe in our heart that you you were raised from the dead. And yet, Father, we also confess for our weaknesses. Because it's in our weaknesses that your word says we're made strong. We need one another. Help us to define ourselves the way you would have us be defined. In Jesus' name, amen.